a nice beat of trouble when it came in. Good old Hotmail. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Good old Hotmail. Nothing beats that. <laughs> hey, for, for what it's worth, this is the one error I've ever noticed with Hotmail in the last 20 years, so... Well, you're talking to somebody with a Yahoo email address, so kindred that's, spirit. That's true. At least you don't have Y-mail. What was that? was that something like cool that they tried or something? I don't know if it was a, a Yahoo product <laughs> or something, but like yeah. anytime I have to get emails from anybody for the radio station, I feel like Y-mail is still like a pretty pretty prominent thing. That and like Roadrunner.net. I'm like, oh, good lord, that's oh a blast gosh. from the past. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what? Ymail is just an optional domain name for Yahoo. I guess you really? signed up originally, oh, which wow. for me, which for me was probably like uh, the year two thousand or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess you got you got to be the oh, the domain Ymail was launched in oh eight, eleven years after Yahoo Mail was launched. Okay, but I don't know why. <laughs> It, uh, I guess it, it was just like, you know what, it, it, just to bring up another Simpsons reference already, it, it seems like there was no difference except the name. <laughs> they just were trying to like, um, be cool, you know, just draw people to the service. Yeah, like, it's got a new hat. Oh. Yeah, but it, it's just the same old Yahoo mail. Yeah, but it's Y mail now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're at uh, three Simpsons references already and we haven't hit two minutes yet. <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should we ju- I think I had something else to say but should we just get going uh, we can yeah I'm sure it'll come up eventually <laughs> yeah I think it was just more about email domains and stuff <laughs> uh, welcome to No Hugging No Learning it's a show about one thing watching Seinfeld for the first time I'm Tim Murphy and I'm Ted Hollowell and today we will be talking about season 7 episode 11 The Rye but before that uh, we didn't have any homework from The Gum which is a bit of an anomaly but that doesn't mean there's nothing to talk about uh, as far as debriefing from the last episode and one of the things, speaking of Simpsons references, let's just talk about this right up top. Uh, because Stein, uh, Jerry calls Elaine Chesty LaRue when she meets Jerry and George <laughs> at Monk's after losing a button and her shirt being open. And that sounded familiar. So I was like, well, let me mm-hmm. look it up. I bet it's like, uh, you know, a, a, a Depression era silent film adult, you know, star, like from <laughs> one of the very first, uh, like, pornographic movies they might have unearthed from some dusty vault somewhere uh and somehow jerry knows the reference but no it's actually a ted i guess we're both like normie boomers because chesty larue was referenced in the simpsons years after it was uh, seinfeld i guess made it up i guess it was just kind of a funny name um and it's what homer changes marge's name to in Homer to the Max, when Homer changes his name to Max Power, at the very end, he says, while I was at the courthouse, I had them change your name. And Marge says, to what? And Homer says, Chesty LaRue. And he says, just try it for two weeks. If you're not completely satisfied, you can be Busty St. Clair. And she says, I don't want to be Chesty LaRue or Busty St. Clair. And he says, fine, Hootie McBoob it is. <laughs> and uh, so I guess it was Seinfeld. I guess it was Simpsons referencing Seinfeld, because I couldn't find any reference to anything chesty larue oriented before jerry said it see i i had known i had known chesty larue was from the simpsons but i wasn't sure uh, like what came first ah yeah yeah it um <laughs> i guess that's why it sounded familiar to me but it, it does sound like a real person that seinfeld you know because there, there are so many old movie references in the gum anyway i thought it might have been something you know from like as always it is references the depression era but 
it, it was it was not. It was I guess the Simpsons reference that made it sound familiar. Also, I I laugh every time I hear Hootie McBoob. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the inspiration for Gum came from assistant director Randy Carter, who was heavily involved with the reopening of the original Alex Theater in Glendale, the real Alex Theater. And I referenced that because I was like, well, when I looked up Alex Theater, there's not one in New York, but there's this one in Glendale. So maybe they did it kind of as a tribute to that. It wasn't really. It was almost kind of um, product placement because the assistant director was, uh, you know, and he would always promote the theater to the Seinfeld cast and crew in a manner similar to Kramer in the episode like oh you guys got to come out to the alex you know we're showing a uh, a revitalized print of you know whatever spartacus for instance uh so they decided to just straight up make fun of him but at least kind of advertises <laughs> theater too <laughs> uh, in the initial draft of the script elaine believes she has eaten her button and it is ultimately discovered in the alex theater's plumbing system oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah oh my God. that would be kind of, that would be kind of a funny end and it would also explain why because i'm willing to bet that kramer never isn't we never hear about the alex theater ever again even though kramer is heavily invested in it it would have been kind of funny if the button caused some sort of horrible plumbing issue that ruined the alex theater again and then it just closed <laughs> because of Elaine. yeah because and mean, he could have pulled it out like the golf ball you know and been like well, oh, what caused the blockage? And Kramer pulls out the button and Elaine goes, hey, that's my, oh, you know, something like that. <laughs> Does, do we never hear or see the Alex Theater ever again, you said? Yeah, not that I know of. I think this is like a one-off thing that Kramer's like really into for a week and then that's it. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, that's weird. <laughs> it, it's almost like <laughs> yeah. it's almost like the Froyo shop. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of what they did on Saved by the Bell all the time, because every week they would have like a new adventure involved in something like, for instance, the radio, st- find an old radio station. They're like super into it for an episode. And then like you never hear about it again. Like what happened to that? What happened to the radio station in the basement? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we, uh, we we move very, very quickly. We don't care about that anymore. <laughs> but I get, you know, the Alex Theater, I guess, because because. It's sort of like Kramer's girlfriend. You know, we have these one-off girlfriends and stuff, and then we never see, never see him again. So I guess those uh, dalliances are, are like Kramer's girlfriend because we don't really see him with a lot of women that we're invested in anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. The plot doesn't revolve around his women like it does Jerry or George or Elaine's boyfriends or whatever. Uh, so it's, he just, you know, he dumps them as quickly as they dump their people. Co-writer Tom Gamble's car, previously featured in the Mom and Pop Star... Uh, the mom and pop store was wrecked when its engine caught fire on the highway, which was worked into the episode story. Hmm. Uh, so again, just straight up making fun of some guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, the worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> just play, playing off tragedy uh, for just, laughs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gamble and his writing partner, Max Prost, wanted to give Ruth Cohen an extra in numerous Seinfeld episodes already up to that point. We referenced that uh, last week in the show. Uh, they wanted to give her a role in the story. They had first taken notice of her while they were still fans of the show before they even joined the writing staff. And Ruthie Cohen had never acted before and performed pretty poorly at her ad- audition <laughs> to play herself in the show. Oh but Jerry God. petitioned on her behalf that, like, let's put her in. And so that, you know, I guess uh, that's where the buck stops. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Cohen had already been visible as the cashier in over 50 episodes since the season four opening episode. Basically, every episode which features the diner and uses the across-the-table camera angle that shows the register. And all told, before we get to the end of the series, she will have appeared in 101 episodes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. 
the actor who previously played Lloyd Braun, Peter Kelligan, had moved to Canada. So the part was reassigned to Matt McCoy. I guess nobody was in. I mean, Canada and U.S., very easy to get back and forth, especially to Los Angeles International Airport. But <laughs> I guess they were like, ah, screw it. <laughs> nah, he's too far away now. <laughs> well, yeah. Why? What, did, did, I want to know if, like, if they made an effort to get him back or if they're just <sighs> if they hear like, oh, he lives in Canada. Nah, we'll, we'll just yeah. give it to someone else. <laughs> it's too expensive yeah, they call his to agent, fly and like, him in. Hey, we got another episode with Lloyd Braun. Uh, do you think we could get hold of him? Oh, you know what? Uh, yeah, you definitely can, but he's in Canada. Hello? Hello? Like before they even get the word Canada <laughs> out. <laughs> Hello? He's just... Did we lose connection? Like, no, we heard Canada and we just talked about <laughs> And I think that's it. All right. Is there any other, like, newsworthy bits or anything? I do have a little interesting bit of news. Elsa Raven passed away at the age of 91. She is best known as the Save the Clock Tower lady from Back to the Future. But she also played Mom in the already mentioned Season 6, Episode 8, The Mom and Pop Store. Oh, um, man. Where, yeah, she's Mom in The Mom and Pop Store, the people who steal all of Jerry's um, uh, <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, is a it's a great Thanksgiving episode if you're looking for something to watch this month <laughs> in, in November, if you're listening to these live. <laughs> I don't remember why it's a great Thanksgiving episode, but evidently <laughs> I wrote that down when I made these notes, and I was like, it must take place around Thanksgiving. Don't even remember. <laughs> well, did you take those? Are you looking back at your notes from when we did that episode? No, I wrote that down like as I made the note j- just this past week. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, I know why. It's the one with the pre-Thanksgiving party, and Mr. Pitt gets to walk in the Thanksgiving Day Parade, oh, and they go God. to... Yeah, Okay. And Jerry got invited to the party, and it's the one where George buys John Voight's car, and uh, they find out it's John Voight the periodontist and not John Voight the actor. And Yeah, so it, there's a Thanksgiving twist in there. I forgot why. That's I was like, right. I'm going to remember when I read this later. Nope. <laughs> it is gone. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I wrote it down. As soon as I saved the file. All right. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, we like to run through the episode uh, just straight up and then have our questions appear uh, naturally, and we will answer them the next week as though we are giving ourselves homework. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us an email or send us a tweet at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHuggingNoLearningShow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts at, and we will send you a No Hugging, No Learning holographic sticker free of charge. We just need that mailing address. You can slip that into our DMs or send us an email with it. Uh, that being said, Season 7, Episode 11, The Rye. Original air date, January 4th, 1996. I was three years and 15 days old. Tim, this is the first episode since I have been a toddler. <laughs> Happy birthday, Ted. I, I don't know why I always associated like the, the, like, the age of three is okay, toddler. D- does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's right. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't yeah. know why, like, there's newborn, and then in my brain, it's like infant is one and two, and then toddler is like three to, I don't know, four, maybe? I don't I don't know. Y- you're yeah. the one with kids. Does this anything, make sense? Yeah, I think that's right. Like, three and four, you could probably still say toddler. Five, even if they're not enrolled, you can start saying... Kindergarten. Oh, well, maybe four and five. You can start saying, yeah, or, or preschooler. Mm, okay, you know? yeah, that's right. Like, four might be... Yeah, toddler might even be like two and three, late two... 
into three, something like that. Yeah, See, I never, I, don't know. I never went to preschool. I always forget about preschool. I think I remember going to one, but my mom also stayed at home, so I guess she just wanted to get rid of me. There is something to be said for that. <laughs> were, were you talking a lot even whenever you were three and four? Yes, I, okay. I think I was. Yeah. <laughs> Then, then I could definitely yeah. just see, like, all right, it's time for you to go to preschool. <laughs> and then she just comes home yeah. from dropping you off, grabs a big glass of wine, and just sits on the couch. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> uh, okay. If you are counting this episode and every other episode we have left, Tim, we've got 56 episodes remaining until we become a... How about... People write in with something awful that happened to them that week, and we just roast them. <laughs> like, like just the worst thing that can happen, you know, like your car catching fire on the highway, for instance, and then we just like relentlessly make fun of you for it. <laughs> we, we, this week, we have an email from listener John, whose mom caught COVID and is in a hospital and on a respirator. You dumb bitch! <laughs> oh my god that would be awful that would be so bad i, I don't i don't you know no sense of smell or taste having motherfucker <laughs> I, I don't know if like i i don't know if i would be able to do that <laughs> i know i know i don't think we're that kind of people I, I we're don't not th- seinfeld writers we're, we're not roast comics <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, looking at the last couple of like Comedy Central roasts, whenever they get non-roast comics to do roast <laughs> jokes, it sucks. Oh like, god! Like the situation, yeah. or oh, uh, yeah. or um, who who is on? Did did Bette Midler do a roast? Why do I think Bette Midler did one? That sounds familiar. I don't because they get these old Hollywood people who have old <laughs> Hollywood friends, and they're like, oh well, I mean that's obviously a big, big name. She should do something and. And then yeah, and they, um, and they, they that always does, need that sound familiar. and they always need like that one name that piques interest, and people are like, wait, 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 what? This person? I have to hear what they're gonna say. It's like <laughs> Jeff Ross, Sarah Silverman, and that Bette one, Midler. yeah, and Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> you we're, know, we're, that might be a fun. We're, we're gonna have um, Gilbert a... Gottfried and Lorne Michaels. <laughs> wait, wait, Lorne Michaels? What? Yeah, yeah. Why? You know, that might be fun if we ever need a bonus episode or something to watch uh, Jerry Stiller's roast, which which is like a, a long ass time ago. But that might be a, oh, a fun he... one to dig back up and see. I'm guessing it wasn't yeah. a Comedy Central roast. It was like a Friars Club roast. No, no, it definitely was the Comedy Central roast of Jerry Stiller. But it, wow, I, I swear okay. it was like 2001 or something. Oh, yeah. man. Got to be on YouTube or something. I mean, if um, it's um, whoops. if it's Comedy Central, it might be on what uh it might be on either hbo max or cbs all access since comedy central is owned by viacom and viacom merged with cbs and they're rebranding cbs all access as paramount plus and i don't know it it's a mess of streaming services right now so this so this was in 99 by the way and it was still when the Friars Club had their name on the Comedy Central roast. So it was Comedy Central presents the New York Friars Club roast Whoa, of Jerry Stiller. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that they were connected. I thought it was two separate things. Yeah, I think they like you know. I mean, way back in the day, Dean Martin used to do. You know, he used to film all those roasts, and then so I think they were like, hey, let's dig up. You know, let's let's see if the Friars Club. I think yeah, they signed a little partnership, and yeah, and then I guess they totally dropped them. They're like, we don't need this. You know, old bastion, <laughs> this bastion of old New York anymore. Nobody knows what it is. <laughs> they get into like roasting two thousands people. It's like, 
that they want to do like the roast of uh, Anna Nicole Smith, and it's like featuring Dean Martin. Like, why? What does Dean Martin have to say? I don't even know if Dean Martin was alive in the year two thousand. That sounds real. Did they roast Anna Nicole Smith, or did she show up at one? I feel like that I, she may have been. Uh, she may have been one of the Dais members, but I know they did do a yeah. roast of Pam Anderson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I can't <laughs> tell whether I the first thing that popped up was Courtney Love joins Pam Anderson at roast, but then it says Anna Nicole Smith arriving for show. So maybe she was there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she was at least in the audience or something. Because yeah, it's Anna Nicole Smith arrives at Comedy Central celebrity roast. There's like a bunch of like Getty images and stuff. Mm. Uh, so she was there. I don't know if she actually talked. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all right. Uh, the the new idea then, since we can't roast people, is just to review all of the old Comedy Central roasts. You know what? Why why that limit? Would be amazing. It, why limit it to the Comedy Central ones? Let's do a complete history of like the Friars Club and Comedy Central roasts. Why not? Yes, any of the recorded ones, all the classic Dean Martin ones. Yeah, we'll we'll buy the DVD set that's advertised on an infomercial at two a.m. <laughs> yes, I I would I'd I'd like this. I, I think it'd be great. <laughs> Oh, God, I can't wait until the Sammy Davis Jr. episode because, you know, uh, they play pretty fast and loose with his race, Ted. <laughs> and then, you know, we can uh, we can hold it to the same no-hugging-no-learning standards and see if they hold up because I can assure you they will not. Like, especially some of these ones from, yeah. like, the 60s and 70s. There's going to be so many homophobic jokes. There's going to be so many race jokes oh and misogynistic yeah, jokes. Yeah. It's going to make our heads oh, spin. Ted, don't forget, don't forget anti-Semitism. Oh my God! How could I forget the anti-Semitism? <laughs> yes, yeah. Maybe, maybe this should be the series that drops whenever we uh, finally launch our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a bad idea. <laughs> I if we were to do a Patreon, I don't know when we would ever find the time to do it. Like, I, we're, I know. we're we're both so busy as it is. <laughs> it would yeah. it would have to be I mean, like this already eats up way too much time. Yeah, it, it would have to be like I don't know twenty minute episodes once every other month, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's like the fifty dollar tier. Yeah, it, it would uh it would be like, hey, sorry, we couldn't record an episode this week. Here's our phone call conversation that I recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Speaking of taking too much time up in our week, uh, we should probably <laughs> get back to uh, the intro of the episode. Uh, so <laughs> if you are looking in TV Guide the night of January 4th, 1996, you are going to see George must replace a loaf of bread his parents took from Susan's mom and dad. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about it. It may give away too much. Well, we'll see if we can make it better when we get to the end of the episode. Uh, we start... Without stand-up, not as usual. No stand-up again this episode. So we had a nice, nice little streak there, but uh, no stand-up. We start, we, we're at a jazz club we're watching a saxophone player blow, and this saxophone player uh, is Elaine's new boyfriend, and she's sitting there watching him perform and daydreaming about how cool it is, and maybe he'll write a song about her one day. <laughs> and then we go to Jerry's apartment, and I noticed Action Comics... The, the Action Comics number one epi- uh, um, magnet is yeah. on the fridge, but not the full-size Superman. Whoa, really? I, I rewound it and paused. Like, we get a good full shot, and, like, sh- he should definitely be there, but I did not see him. Hmm. Okay. I, I didn't yeah. even notice this. 
really I, weird. I've just gotten so uh, used Elaine, to seeing it at this point. I know, me too. That's why I was like, I, I guess I'm missing it or someone's standing in front of it. But but no, I'm, I'm certain he's not there. Elaine is explaining to Jerry about how enamored she is and how this guy is definitely sponge worthy. But, and Jerry has to kind of like, you know, pull it out of her. He doesn't like to do everything. <laughs> and Jerry thinks for a second, then he goes, you know, he has like an aha kind of thing. And, you know, he's like, well, he just got out of a relationship. Maybe he's nervous. And well, I guess it's not going to happen. So Elaine, you know, Elaine's fine without it, but it'd be nice, she says. And it, it did take me a second to go, all right, what are they? What are they talking about? Because they're not saying <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> Uh, but it's definitely he won't go down on her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. It took yeah. me. It took me all of like I think five seconds. I'm like, is he? It is. Are they talking about like eating her out? Okay. I, I, oh. They, oh. They, they definitely are. All right. And then like once I had that in my brain, yeah. everything else in the like made sense. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it um it is it was still very ambiguous and and you really kind of have to just they're not going to answer it for you. You just kind of have to go I think they don't answer. I think you just go, "All right, well that that's what it is and I just have to settle on it. Yeah, I'm not going to get uh, any confirmation." It, and that, I mean, we we won't I don't want to give away any spoilers in case yeah. anybody didn't watch this episode, but it, it doesn't become painfully obvious until the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh Kramer uh, comes into the apartment and he needs help from Jerry bringing his groceries up because he went to a price club and he loaded up. <laughs> and down on the street, we see that Kramer's car is full of these bulk items. I mean, there's combos, there's yeah. Newman's own it's, organic pretzels, giant boxes. Yeah. Yeah, he got a four-pound can of Lindsay olives, a 48-pack of <laughs> Eggo waffles, a gallon of barbecue sauce, 10 pounds of cocktail meatballs, which, Tim, did you write down the price <laughs> Of ten pounds of cocktail meatballs. Oh, 1750. That's a great deal. That's a great deal. Are you kidding me? My God. <laughs> yeah, I would jump on that. <laughs> yeah, I did notice in his car, besides also toilet paper and paper towels, so very twenty twenty. Um, there's also a big box of snack wells, which has been referenced a couple times. Oh, as a, uh, I didn't catch that. Uh, you know, a low calorie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there's Kleenex, raisin bran. Let me see. I wrote down honey nut Cheerios. Uh, in the trunk, a big, a giant bag of popcorn, like a like a garbage bag size popcorn, <laughs> which goes bad immediately. Yeah. By the way, like popcorn doesn't keep. No, that's the one thing that I saw that I was like, oh my, well that's already bad on the ride home. <laughs> it's already like, gone bad. The, the only way, the only way you can like really keep popcorn is if you like put it in a sealed Ziploc, uh, and then like you, I don't know, just get like the powdered <laughs> butter and not like the liquid butter, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it um it was gigantic, and I noticed too. There's a a huge like cement size bag. It says restaurant size, and I think it was flour. It says <laughs> restaurant size bag or something like that. And I think it was flour, and I'm like, what would he use that for? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, and Jerry says, "What? Why'd you buy so much? You're never going to finish all this." And that's when Kramer goes, "Oh, these are staples." And that's when Kramer, I mean, when Jerry starts pointing out all the stuff that you mentioned, like. Olives, those are staples. Uh, one gallon of barbecue sauce and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's a good reference. He pulled. He was like, "Look at this tuna can," <laughs> and he goes, "That's big enough for Biosphere three. What is that? Did you no this get one that o- reference? No, this went over my head. <laughs> all right, then I'll write it down for next week okay. because I know Biosphere was, you know, like I guess kind of an experiment where they built 
this all enclosed, yeah. livable environment. I guess to see if they could do that. Yeah, and I think there was only two of them, but so the three might be kind of the joke there. But um, you know, they made the movie Biodome, which you do, have you seen that? Mm, I have not. Oh, I was. I wonder when that came out because I, I'll probably talk about it next week. But that seems like a movie that you would have seen, like I, I don't know, when you were ten. But maybe it came out too early or something. But they made like a funny movie where Pauly Shore and I think Stephen Baldwin get locked inside the new. They call it Biodome, obviously, and they're idiots, and so hijinks ensue, Ted. Oh, great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but so you're familiar with the biosphere concept then? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we'll still we'll still do a little uh, legwork on it next week. Uh, Clyde walks by, and he plays backup with John Germain, and Jerry says, oh, I was just talking about him with Elaine. Apparently, they are hot and heavy. And then Clyde, uh, he won't help with the groceries. And I didn't write this down at first, but it plays in, just like you said, Ted, to the end of the episode, not to spoil anything. But Clyde's like, hey, I can't help, man. I got to take care of my hands. My hands are my, my, you know, my livelihood or whatever he says. We cut to George's parents' house, and they are about to leave to go meet the in-laws, which is a phrase that freaks George out, which is hilarious. He's like, oh, my in-laws. Oh, God, I'm going to – it seemed like the first time he might have – referred to them that way and like mm-hmm. the, the engagement just became a little more real at that point <laughs> like just in that one split second uh and frank's this is interesting too estelle says frank's tie is too thin but frank uh you know says that you know walk down oh no estelle says walk down seventh avenue and tell me if you see any thin ties like that but once again a member of the costanza family is way ahead of the fashion curve <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, think wearing like, skinny ties in '95. Yeah, I think uh, I think Frank's tie right here is at least currently the right amount of thin because, like, you you look back to like uh, a, a long time ago, but also look back like ten or so years ago, whenever they were like ruler thin <laughs> ties, and that yeah, was the yeah. trend. Now that they've gotten a little bit wider, and like ties are, I, I'd say at most like two two and a quarter inches wide um they're still thinner but they're definitely not like the fat ass ties that are like six inches oh yeah yeah and and also frank's tie doesn't widen out at any point i think that's what makes it look cool like it's straight all the way down you know ties don't really have that that 45 degree angle or whatever and then comes back into the point you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like kind of looks like a kite, like modern tie, like or ties ten years ago looked like a kite. Yeah. And now they just go straight down and then go to a point, like a spear. <laughs> and that's what that's what Frank's tie is, and it looks boss. You know, it, it's like perfect for now. <laughs> so yeah, way ahead of his time. Uh, but he also insists on <laughs> stopping for a very certain marble rye from a certain kosher bakery that is out of the way. Schnitzers. Schnitzers. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get the best. <laughs> Uh, up up in Jerry's apartment. Cut back to Jerry's apartment. Superman is still on the bookshelf. If you were worried about him uh, after his I was from the actually. <laughs> Elaine is upset with Jerry the fact that he said hot and heavy. He was like, "Oh yeah, I said you guys were hot and heavy or whatever." And Elaine's like, <laughs> she doesn't want John to think that she thinks they're hot and heavy if they're not hot and heavy right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, if, if he's not, she does. You know, yeah. Uh, she feels like she's lost control of the relationship. I, I just uh, want to point out what I wrote in my notes here. I, I just wrote Elaine doesn't like that Jerry said hot and heavy. Aside from the fact that no one actually talks like that. <laughs> yeah, I can understand it being a little bit of like well, I don't know what to say. I was just talking about him, but yeah, I guess there. I guess it was another way of saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a weird phrase to use. Yeah, he could have just said, "Oh, yeah, sounds like they're doing great." Yeah, and that would have been fine. Yeah, you know? well, okay. Let he me. He picked a weird. He, yeah. Have you have you ever used or heard anybody use in real life the term "hot and heavy"? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I may have it, like heard my grandma say it at one point. <laughs> Ted, is there anyone you're hot and heavy with at school? <laughs> well, like what, what we uh, one example would be like we're watching a movie or something, and she's like, "Oh, this is getting hot and heavy." I'm like, "What, Graham? Uh, what?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> she, perfect. Uh, an- another another Grahamism is like instead of kissing, she'll say "sucking face." <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm like oh my god that sounds so much worse yeah that's strong that's strong <laughs> um but uh, in my head canon here's the way it went because jerry was like trying to make small talk and so he said something and i have done this like i leave a conversation with someone i've never met and i may never see again but I also said I worked a, a phrase in that I'm like, I don't. Why did I say that? I don't say that. Or, or like they said something that I agree with. And I'm like, wait a second. I don't agree with that. Why did I say that to them? What was I trying to impress them? You know, like, so I have done that where you're like your brain just reaches for like the first phrase it can find. Yeah. And somewhere in Jerry's brain, hot and heavy came out. I was like, I, I've never said that. Why did my brain when it was scrambling for something to say, say something that I've never said before? <laughs> That's that's the feeling that I have uh, that I think Jerry was going through. <laughs> Out in the hallway, Kramer drops. He's he's trying to carry in all this bulk stuff still, and he drops like a crapload of diet coke and other stuff, and the cans are exploding. and And uh, it's at that point that a neighbor uh, <laughs> like comes down to Kramer's level, and rather than helping, uh, asks if Kramer can get his <laughs> mail while he's in Disney World with the family. Yeah. next week. You oh you you skipped over. <laughs> Kramer does a full flip. He does a full front flip. Whenever he drops his stuff, I didn't notice that. Like yeah. a somersault, almost like oh my! Gosh. He does like almost a full flip before he touches the ground. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> it's great. And, uh, does he land on his back or something? I think he lands like on his hip or like his butt. Jeez, no, I did not <laughs> notice that. Oh my gosh! And and while this guy is in Disney World. He says, hey, you know what? You can have the handsome cab for the week, too. You can drive that around. It's just going to be sitting there. You can make $500 a day, and I'll split it with you. And Kramer's like, whoa, easy money? And he literally says, giddy up. And, <laughs> and, and for once, he's actually talking about something involving a horse. <laughs> for, for, for once, giddy up is appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, over at Susan's, there's a very awkward dinner going on. They're eating Cornish game hen. And George's <laughs> parents are definitely outclassed in this case and george is trying to make it seem like they're not you know yeah. like he's like what's that like because you know he hears cornish game hen and frank goes what's that like a chicken and george <laughs> goes it's not he knows what it is it's not a chi-. he seems it makes it seem like all they're all joking every time they make a faux pas mm-hmm. like that like estelle's like oh i have never heard of merlot did they just invent it <laughs> good lord i don't even drink wine <laughs> And and I was like, oh, come on by this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's so funny. Like, I think they just invented a, a kind of wine. Like, when's the last time they did invent? Because you'd have to, like, I think it's named for the grape. I think it's named for a kind of grape. So you'd have to invent a grape in order to invent a type of wine. <laughs> 
<laughs> so George again makes it tries to make it look like she's joking, but yeah. she's obviously not. Frank won't let the hen thing go. He starts talking about like you got hens and roosters and chickens. Rooster goes with the chicken. Who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> and, and, at which point, I, I think it's George tries to change the subject. Right, and he tries to uh, start talking about like what, what movie was it? Did you catch the name? Firestorm. Firestorm. And Susan's dad was like, "That's a great <laughs> picture." And then we just get Frank just like, no, I haven't seen it. Don't tell me anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a great <laughs> argument, like a, still a very modern argument, too, because uh, Susan's dad is back and goes, it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. You know, it's not a spoiler. You know, it's just it's just a cool shot. And he's like, but Frank is still like, I like to go in fresh. <laughs> Which, like, I, I can appreciate Frank's argument here. But, like, these are people yes. you don't know. You don't need to be screaming about this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Kramer, who is giving tours of Central Park with completely made up information. I forget who the guy he mentioned is that, oh, that built Central Park. Uh, Joe Pepitone in 1850. Yeah, Joe, Joe Pepitone, who is definitely, I think, a member of the New York Yankees. I, I think so, too. I think it's the current Yankees at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh then we cut to bradley's uh we get the exterior of this jazz club that we saw earlier bradley's is now closed but it was a real place at 70 universe uh university place in greenwich village and it is now the reservoir bar which is just kind of a it actually looks kind of like a cool place if you're ever in new york Ooh. city check out the reservoir at 70 university place because uh the doors are the same like the exterior is the same that awning's gone but it's. I, I was looking at the reservoir's menu and stuff, and it's reasonably priced. So it's like pub food and drinks. And, oh, nice! You know, like eleven dollar burger, ten dollar apps. I'm like, this that's, are like Applebee's prices. Yeah, that's not bad for New York. I, and I'll tell you what: yeah. if you walk up to the bouncer at night and you tell him, "Hey, no hugging, no learning," sent me. They're not going to have any <laughs> idea what you're talking about. So please don't do that. Yeah, you have to use the offer code hot and heavy. <laughs> 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 then he'll know. Uh, by the way, the reservoir is open from 11 a.m. till 4 a.m. every day. Oh, my God. They're only closed for seven hours a day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I'd hate to be the people uh, cloping at that place, like closing one shift and then opening <laughs> the next day. Like, I would hate oh that. Oh, my gosh. Because, you, you know, That's like, in, it's, that would be insane. It, it's a service industry job. It's got to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you know, so you get home at 5, and then you have to be there at 10. <laughs> Jeez. But, and, uh, but then again, maybe, maybe there's people who would enjoy doing that, so they can just get two shifts out of the way in like technically one day if you adjust your sleep schedules right <laughs> yeah that's true what about the people who work open to close hey can you work open to close tomorrow you mean 11 a.m to 4 a.m fuck you <laughs> you mean 17 hours <laughs> but you know what again we are talking about new york city i mean we're talking about people who work as wait staff in new york city you know you pull one of those you might not have to you know you might be able to make rent or something well let's not let's not get carried away here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean rent if you have six other roommates in a in a studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On like the 80th yeah. floor in a bad area. <laughs> yeah, in a walk up. Yeah. I'm on the 80th floor of a walk up. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, well, yeah, and I have to open tomorrow, so I'm just going to sleep in the foyer because by the time I get up to the apartment, <laughs> I'll have to leave again. Uh by the way, so I did do a little 
deep dive on Bradley's. It opened in 1969, and it became almost immediately like hollowed ground for jazz musicians. Really? Um, people like yeah, like legit the biggest names in jazz like just loved this place. And because it was open an hour later, even Bradley's was open an hour later than all the other jazz bars in the village. And so after their gigs finished, the musicians would meet at Bradley's and just like, you know, shoot the shit. And they would have like after hours jams. Like so even after Bradley's closed, some of the dudes who were cool enough got to stick around and then have these like epic jam sessions and stuff. Uh, So for jazz fans, this is like, you know, kind of a cool bit of New York history that, you know, like. The fact that John Germain was playing it, I guess, is a big deal. You know, hmm. when Elaine was talking about being able to quit her job, I was like, "He's a jazz musician." But <laughs> I mean, I guess if he was playing at Bradley's, maybe he was, maybe he had it going on. You know, um, here's another interesting uh, discrepancy between Bradley's in real life and Bradley's in Seinfeld. Drums were banned at Bradley's. Hmm. You could not bring or play drums at all because the noise level would be so high. And if you had drums, evidently. It, you needed a different license because it fell under New York City's cabaret law. So the fact that he didn't have drums allowed him to, I guess, pay a little bit less to run his business. Oh, my God. The cabaret law. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cabaret, New York City's cabaret law. <laughs> so Bradley's closed in 1996, but there's uh, an extensive oral history in the Jazz Times that I was reading. Um, but it's funny because I said, like, the biggest names in jazz, and that's kind of like, saying the biggest names in uh rodeo clowns <laughs> because you probably can name as many like because the, the the names these dudes are dropping they were like oh man i saw and then like they list these names and i was like i don't recognize any of those names like i saw but they, we- they were obviously a big deal to these guys yeah like i saw wheezy mclaughlin i i saw exactly. I, I saw a crying jones crying jones mcgee uh, and, yes. and, and who can forget? I, I can't even come up with a, a third fake jazz musician. My God, <laughs> bleeding comes Murphy. There we go. There's our there's our fourth Seinfeld ref. <laughs> yeah, Simpsons. You mean? Yes. Um, but it's it's it reminds me. So like saying the biggest names in jazz reminds me of the the gag from that episode where he's like, "We're the most powerful jazz radio station." in the country and it you know she can only listen to it like right outside the door (laughs) we we cover five feet or something like that oh my god um yes so if you're interested in bradley's it does seem like a a cool place to learn about and again you can find that uh, extensive oral history in the jazz times but john germain is playing at bradley's and oh by the way there are drums at this fake bradley's if you know this uh, so not not the same Bradleys, but he introduces a new song as Elaine walks in, and it's called "Hot and Heavy." Ooh. <laughs> Back over at George's parents, they are driving, or George and his parents are driving home, and they're sort of like debriefing from the dinner. Can't believe that they didn't put out any cake for dessert. You know, they're very <laughs> upset about the fact that there was no cake, especially because they did have coffee, <laughs> and then. In the back seat, George finds the marble rye. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I think Estelle's like, we forgot again. And Frank's like, no, I brought it in. They never put it out. So Frank grabbed it before he left and took it back. And Susan's family, we kind of cut to the apartment, and they're looking for it. And George and Estelle are also – well, I don't know if Estelle was. I know George was, like, shocked and upset Mm -hmm. that he took it back. What what are your feelings on this? Uh, I really don't see the issue with it. 
with, with like taking something that you brought over for the dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't see why it would I, be such a big deal. Yeah, I'm on Frank's side too. I mean, I brought food and I'll bring the leftovers home from a party yeah. or whatever. Or I've brought you know like my own beer to a party and I take that back with me. Yeah, I, I like maybe. I don't know. Maybe a loaf of bread is different, but I, I don't really think it <laughs> I is. Think it, no, it 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 isn't. I think we're talking about the exactly the same thing. We're just on Frank's side. That like, yeah, you can take it back. But George and Susan's family see it as unclassy. I think like who's so cheap that whatever it is, a seven dollar rye. I think uh, Jerry might say later. Um, you know, who's so cheap that like they won't leave a loaf of bread there that <laughs> that they brought over? You know, it's like if you put a bottle of wine and they didn't open it that night, would you take that back from a dinner party specifically with two other people? I probably wouldn't, you know. But if I brought a bottle of wine to like a rager, like a raging house party or something, <laughs> um, then I probably would bring it back with me, even if it had been opened. Like, well, I'm going to bring the rest of that wine back. You know? Yeah, really. But like if it's, but I think uh, it's a if cla- it's just I think it's a you, class thing. yeah, if it's just you uh your spouse and another couple then i think at that point it's seen as a gift yeah and i think that's the way that george and susan's family are looking at it and that's not the way frank was looking at it he wanted to eat that bread (laughs) (laughs) over at monks george uh you know was telling jerry about how you know now he has to avoid susan's family for the rest of his life because of this bread but he comes up with an idea to replace it without them knowing and then go oh here was the bread the whole time (laughs) Uh, you know how to get it into their house and Kramer is you know Jerry I think comes up with the idea to like give them a handsome cab ride with Kramer for their anniversary which is coming up that'll get them out of the apartment and then George will be able to get the bread into the house Uh, and they go over to Kramer's and he's into it and he agrees to it while eating a giant can of beefarino (sighs) He, this is one of the things he, he said he got at the at the price club. He says he got fifty cans of beefarino, and these are these aren't like normal size. This is like a fifty pound can this, uh, or whatever is, it might be, like a gallon can this, of this beefarino. Is the, this is the industrial size that you would get at like a Sam's Club or a Costco or something. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like what they open at a summer camp and then and just <laughs> like, yeah, serve looking. Out of. Looking at what he also had in his trunk where would 50 cans of beefarino fit <laughs> that's a good maybe they were on the floor of the car you know because it was packed to the gills i mean passenger seat and back seat and trunk so <laughs> um it, it, they, yeah he had them down there somewhere i guess 50 cans but i like that he says to jerry too as if jerry hadn't told him this the very day before I think I bought too much. Like he finally has this realization on his own, even though he's already been told he bought too much. Jerry, I think I bought too much. Like Jerry doesn't know. <laughs> I think I bought too much. Uh, and so the way we're going to going to get the the bread into the apartment because George can't sneak it in because they're gigantic. Jerry's going to bring the rye after they leave for the handsome cab ride. And George is like, a plan of his is, is coming together. It's all locking in, mm-hmm. as he says. Uh, Elaine comes in and is still very upset. Now she's even maybe more upset with Jerry about the hot and heavy comment. She says, well, you really did me in this time. <laughs> and she also does a, a very 2020 hand motion. She does the chef's kiss. <laughs> I didn't even notice this. The chef's kiss. Yeah, she does it in, I forget why, but, um, you know, it, that's like, just like 
exploded in popularity over the past year. Yeah, I mean, it just became an emoji. Yeah, yeah. This is where Elaine says she has no control of the relationship. Now it's towel. There's nobody who is is pushing the gas or the brakes because they're both just like careening through this hot and heavy world that Jerry created. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because she's like, do you have any idea what this feels like? He's like, no, but I've read articles and it seems very unpleasant. (laughs) And it's another instance where people get mad at Jerry for like nothing bad ever befalling him. And Mm -hmm. and Elaine's like, something bad is going to happen to you. It has to. And Jerry's like, no, I don't. I'll be fine. But uh, regarding your situation, (laughs) again, he just like brushes it right off. And, you know, she's like, why don't, he's like, why don't you go talk to him about it? And she's like, oh, I can't talk to him tonight. He's got a big record showcase uh, with these producers, and I want to throw him off or whatever. And she's like, oh, what the heck? I'll, you know, I'll go talk to him. Uh, over at Susan's parents, George is acting very skittish as they're getting ready for their handsome cab ride. And he asks for water. And Susan's mom says, oh, yeah, I can get you some water. We don't have any bread, but we have water. So, like, <laughs> winking to George that she knows what's up. Uh, and she goes into the kitchen, but she just, the, the funny thing is she had just opened a bottle of Evian, I think to cut her scotch with. Um, so I don't know. Why not get him a nice cool bottle of Evian? Why does he have to drink New York City tap water? <laughs> hey, you never know. Maybe they have a, uh, a 1990s version of a Brita. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Possibly. But also, um, they, I don't think they like George. So maybe that's why. <laughs> no, they're, they're going to give him tap water. Yeah, she's like, I can bathe in Evian if I wanted to, but I'm not wasting a bottle on George Costanza. (laughs) Uh, Out on... Oh, by the way, I noticed, uh, talking about being rich and classy and stuff like that, um, she does drink Johnny Walker Red Label, the cheapest of the uh, Johnny Walker line. Hmm. So I I just found that kind of interesting. Because she can definitely, you know, looking at their place and the kind of people that they are, like, she could definitely afford the more expensive... Johnny Walker, maybe a black, maybe even a blue, but uh, she's going with the red label. Uh, Out on the street, Kramer is feeding the horse a giant can of beefarino, and he's singing a beefarino jingle that it's at this point makes me think, I was like, wait a second, is beefarino real? Because this was a really good jingle. (laughs) What did you you find? Did you find anything? I I didn't look it up, but I'll put it down for next week. Because Um, I I was thinking... He's like, you know, beefarino made for king and queen-o. It's, like, really good. (laughs) See, I was thinking beefarino is just going to be a take on beefaroni, Chef Boyardee. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly what we're gonna and find. I, I don't I don't but, know if you caught this at the end of his jingle. He's like, "Eat up, Rusty! I still have thirty four cans of beefarino." That means in the <laughs> last day, Kramer has eaten sixteen industrial size cans of beefarino. Wow. Or he's well, fifteen plus the one the horse is eating. Kramer himself has 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 taken in fifteen. <laughs> Maybe the horse has eaten more than one. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it. Uh, outside of Susan Parent's apartment, George is panicking because Kramer is one minute late. And he's like, why did I – Why my plan is hinging on Kramer. What was I thinking? But it's right at that point that the K-Man comes through uh, and comes around the corner and down the street with the handsome cab. Uh, over at Schnitzer's Bakery – we see a, a very fake sign over what used to be Royale <laughs> Kosher Bake Shop. This was the real exterior. It's interesting that when they were going to put up a fake sign anyway, they went with an actual kosher bakery. 
Like it could be anything. Oh yeah, like whatever the Alex Theater was. <laughs> that that didn't seem like it was a theater, you know. Yeah, for real. It didn't have to be anyway. Uh, uh, but okay. this was actually a real kosher bake shop. Didn't we already have a story like this? Because. The lady in front of Jerry got the last marble rye, and then he's freaking out, like, oh, you should have gotten here earlier, and then he offers to buy it from her. Didn't this exact thing happen in a previous episode? Yes, it did. You're talking about the dinner party, season five, episode 13, when they were trying to get the chocolate babka, but they ended up with the cinnamon babka (sighs) that had a hair on it, and it's the exact same set as well. That's that's what I thought. I'm like, this looks very familiar. <laughs> Not only like in the way it, it, it looks, but it's written the exact same way. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised. It, it, it's a shame they didn't reference... You know, Jerry going, oh, not again, or something like that, because it is so similar that or, you could see it as, like, yeah, a little running gag. Or, like, if uh, if the clerk would have said, like, sorry, that was the last marble rye, but we do have chocolate babka, that would have been that would have been uh, a beautiful bow. Are you kidding me? But yes, nothing, nothing yes. like that. Yeah, no reference to the fact that we had just been here a couple seasons ago. I don't, yeah, I don't get it either. And it's it looks like the same clerk, too. I mean, it looks, it looks <laughs> identical. So, Royale Kosher Bake Shop... Used to be at 237 West 72nd Street. It is now closed. But, however, on Google Street View, Ortiz Funeral Home is still right next door and looks identical to the way it looked in 1995 or whenever this B-roll was from. It's crazy. However, It's a Dog's Life, which was on the other side of the bakery, is now gone. Um, And the bakery itself, here's more. I think this has happened before with a place like this but the bakery is now a jenny craig location (laughs) so a weight loss center and i think that happened before with another place that you know a food place that turned into like a weight watchers or something (laughs) oh no i i think um was it uh something that turned into a gym like something is now like a planet fitness or something (sighs) yeah that sounds that sounds right too yeah yeah so yeah as you mentioned the lady in front of jerry gets the last marble rye by the way this is a famous actress too i'm gonna write her down I recognize her. Dang it. I, I want to say she was in like an Adam Sandler. Is it? No, wait. Wait. Is it um, Happy Gilmore's mom? It might be Happy Gilmore's mom. I think that's exactly who it is uh, from the Adam Sandler movie. Have you ever seen that? I've seen Happy Gilmore. I, I don't know if I would be able to recall what his mom looks like. Well, I know this lady is you know just another one of those old lady actors like we saw with um, <laughs> the one that was in The Wedding Singer, another great Adam Sandler movie. Uh, and so I'm gonna, I'll write her down, the Marble Rye actress, for next week. Um, and she won't give up the marble rye, not even for double the price. So out on the street, the Rosses depart for their handsome cab ride. Jerry is following the lady who took the marble rye. He offers her $50 for the marble rye. When she won't take that, he wrestles the rye from her and runs off yelling, give me the, give me the rye, you old bag, and then runs <laughs> off, uh, having assaulted an old woman. It gets very physical. Over at Bradley's, Elaine is trying to, but this, uh, give me the, give me the bread, you old bag, or whatever it is. That, that's like a very famous mm-hmm. uh, quote from the series. Uh, over at Bradley's, Elaine is trying to clear up the fact that, like, she's like, I don't think we're hot and heavy. But John was excited. He's like disappointed that she's like backing off the hot and heavy because you know he was kind of excited about that she felt that way. And he's like, you know, I got a couple hours if you want to go to my place. And oh, by the way, I'm thinking of uh, adding a new number to my repertoire. In, uh, uh, you know, in, in implying that he's ready oh to boy. go downtown. Oh, boy. 
Uh, back in the handsome cab, the horse is beefing the beef Reno up <laughs> hardcore. He's beef- ruining the ride. He is beefing that Reno. Yeah, he definitely is. And and the ride is cut short. Um, and I was watching this, and I thought I remembered there being actual fart sounds in this episode, but for me, it was completely silent. Yeah, I uh, I was wondering if like the the horse was like. Uh, farting, or if the horse was like actually like taking a shit, or but I I I didn't know, so I just assumed like okay maybe it's just silent, or maybe yeah ma- maybe that's the one thing that NBC didn't want in the in the episode. That's the one thing that standards and practices was like this isn't going to work. Yeah, that's what I wonder, but I, but I swear that they used to be there. Like it seemed, or maybe the, maybe they were just react, you know, because it seems like they're reacting to something that we can't hear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I swear, I remember there used to be actual sounds, but maybe like my brain was just thinking, oh, there should be some there, and it's like planting some sort of false memory that like, oh, they used to be there. But um, I don't know if I'll be able to find anything about whether the episode did used to include fart sounds or not. But <laughs> it definitely seems like there should have been something there. You know, even the audience seems to be reacting at certain times. It just seemed weird. It just seemed weird to have it all be so silent. The handsome cab is coming around the corner just as Jerry is arriving with the rye. So he gets waved off by George, and now George has to go in. And what do we do? This is this is a great time when texting would have come in very handy, you know? Mm-hmm. If, See, they, if George could have just been silently communicating with Jerry this, from the uh, apartment. This made me irrationally upset because, like, they definitely would have had enough time for George to like rush upstairs and like hide the loaf of bread. You think so? I I definitely they were like they were like right so. there. They were like coming around the corner. They were coming around the corner as Jerry is crossing the street. Like Jerry's much closer. Yeah. I think it would have been I think they I think Jerry would have been spotted and then they would have been like, "Oh, what's Jerry doing here?" and I don't know. I I think it was I think they were well within line of sight of George at that point. Maybe, but also why did George need to be outside? I think because the the turnaround was so quick, they were leaving. Well, they didn't leave till after seven. It was probably like seven o two at that point, and Jerry was due at seven o five with the marble rye. Now he probably had a couple of extra minutes delay because he had to deal with that lady. So if he would have been right on time at seven o five, I think it would have been perfect. But because he was held up by the old lady and having to get the rye from her, um, I think he was a little bit late, and so and their their cab ride was cut short anyway. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they had just barely gotten around the corner, and so all of that added up to the timeline being severely truncated to the point where I don't think George wanted to risk it. I don't know. I I think I'm I'm going to hold on to the fact that I I think George would have had enough time to run it upstairs, and and like they they would have been able to like meet him back up in the apartment. He wouldn't have had to come back down. But I don't know. That's true. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I think he'll probably be thinking about that. Like, man, I, could I have could I have made it? You know, I think I had the time. He'll, he's probably going to regret it. <laughs> um, so back at Bradley's, the all the record dudes are getting impatient, waiting for John to show up because uh, he's late for his showcase. Back on the street, George calls from the window to for Jerry to throw the rye up to him on. Was this like the second or third? It must have been the third floor. It I was. Think, um, right? yeah. uh, it was only. It was only the second. Well, uh, no, it was? no, you're right. It was the third because there was. Um, there's the door. There's one window that that we yeah. see, and then there's George. So yeah, I guess it is the third floor. 
Yeah, because we see that couple who sees the rye going up and down. Yeah, you know, from their window in between. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and when Jerry throws the rye, the camera cuts away, but it definitely hit the ground <laughs> several times. It, it definitely doesn't come anywhere near Jerry when he's throwing it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when it comes back down, it's like way over, like not even on the stairs anymore. <laughs> that that rye would have had the crap beat out of it by the time it actually made it up there if, I, we, if we saw the throws. I, I want to know how many loaves of marble rye were harmed in the making of this episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but Jerry, so Jerry can't reach it up to the window, so... Um, Back over at Bradley's, John finally arrives with Elaine, and they're finishing up a conversation. She's assuring him that he's good. He's good at it, but he doesn't have to try so hard. Oh. Uh, and so he goes up to start his showcase. <laughs> Back on the street, George is like, wait a second. I got an idea. He grabs a fishing pole, and I, I love Jerry's line. Like, I've, ne- I've never baited a hook with a rye before. Give me a second, you know, because <laughs> he's being hurried along by George. And... He pulls up the rye with the fishing pole and turns around to see Susan and her parents have seen all of this unfold. And all that George can eke out is a schnitzers. (laughs) That's it. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, We do get one last little epilogue back at Bradley's. John Germain is unable to play his saxophone uh, because... His mouth is is just <laughs> tired, and Elaine slinks out as his record showcase is bombing. And this Ted is the first time that I actually got the joke. Really? Yeah, it had. I knew what was going to happen in this episode, but it it had been the first time that I watched it, maybe as an adult. I don't know, and and got what they were talking about. And the first time I realized is like he went down on Elaine for so long that his mouth. And also that's why I mentioned earlier when um what's his name Clyde is like oh I can't man you know I, I got to take care of my hands my hands are my livelihood yeah that's the same thing that happened to him and it's the first time it connected for me in in all these years watching it again I guess I was just thought he was like. I guess I thought, you know, like it, it, he'd just been unable to perform or something like that with Elaine. Okay. Or, you know, just, I, I just never connected that it, that his mouth was too tired to perform or whatever. Wow. Okay. I just had never, ever connected that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Call me naive or whatever. But yeah, I was. It, it unlocked for the very first time. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so there we go. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, so what do we got for homework for next week? We'll talk about Biosphere and Biosphere 3. Okay. We'll try to figure out, probably it, it isn't, but if Beefarino is a thing or not. Uh, the actress who played the woman who buys the marble rye out from under Jerry, and whether or not there were actual actually any horse fart sounds in <laughs> this episode when it first aired. I bet that if the, if they're maybe they're like on the DVD or something, and there's a... A version of this on a version of this scene on YouTube that still has them or something. I bet that might be a possibility. It I might, might, uh, it, try might to, try might it might just be an edit. I, I'm sure you can find an edit where all of the dialogue is fart sounds, and instead of fart sounds, there's like <laughs> Jerry just saying like uh, his stand up lines. <laughs> yeah, and then just farts a fart synthesizer <laughs> for the music. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. That's it. All right. What do you like visually about this episode for cover art? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Because uh, it's about the rye. Maybe Jerry wrestling the rye from the old lady. That's kind of an iconic image. What are you thinking? 
The, I, I was thinking that as well, but I also liked... I, I like the way that George... I like the way that George was standing with the rye as if it was a caught fish at first before he even notices. And even after he notices, he's standing there like <laughs> a fisherman posing for a picture with a catch. I thought that was kind of funny. But it's certainly not as as well known or or as good, I think, as the uh, old lady. You know, Jerry wrestling the old lady. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. Cool. All right, what do we want to do about the description? <laughs> so let's we, see. We had George must replace a loaf of bread his parents took from Susan's mom and dad. I can keep it with George must replace a loaf of bread. I mean, that's not bad, right? No, is it too short? <laughs> it. I, I would tend to think that too, but it also really piques my interest. Like, what does that mean? You know, what would you add to it though? Um, what about George must replace a loaf of bread from a dinner party? Hmm, I'm fine with that too. Okay. All right. So next week we have got, let me scroll back. We have got season seven, episode 12, the caddy original air date, January 25th, 1996. We are skipping ahead. What? Two weeks, hmm. three weeks, it, uh, three weeks in real time. Was this like a Christmas break. I don't know if it's a it's a Christmas break or was '96 a, a Winter Olympic year or no? It would have been oh, my, yeah. no, it would have been a Summer Olympic year. So I don't know what was going on in January. I thought '94 was the because it wasn't '94 Atlanta. It was '96 Atlanta. I think '96 was Atlanta because 2000 was was also Summer Olympics. You're right. '96 was the uh, yeah the Atlanta one. So I don't know why they took such a long break. Um, but if you are looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Kramer befriends a caddy who helps him improve his golf game. Hmm, interesting. I, I'm, I, this episode's not really sticking out to me, so I wonder if it's one of those that the description has nothing to do with the, the main storyline. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, um, what, uh, what did you think of the rye? Because I really didn't care for this episode. What I started really? Oh my god! Yeah, I see. I wrote, I was cracking up. I wrote the fewest amount of notes that I think I have in the last <laughs> like year of any episode we've talked about. I'm like, it's okay, wow. I guess. Yeah, I don't know what I so much about it. I get. I guess I liked the plot of you know the the little bit of a heist plot trying to get the bread inside and all <laughs> the moving pieces of that, and and then also the fact that the joke unlocked for me. For the first time. having gone over my head for so long that the reveal at the end was like really funny the way they built that up as well and dropped little hints that I never noticed (laughs) before. Um, Yeah, I I don't know if it'll hold up by the time I get to the end, but I thought there was... Oh, and then uh, anything with Frank. Anything with Frank Costanza like almost immediately gets a star no matter what. Okay. And so the fact that we got such good Frank in this episode... With, uh, you know, his inappropriate dinner conversation, like, who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I may, maybe yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, to- I'm totally OK being in the the small uh, minority of people who, like, w- didn't love this episode. But I don't know, just just my take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's totally, totally acceptable. But I, it kind of surprised me at how much I liked it and, and that it did end up with a star because it, it wasn't one of those that I remembered being so great, even though it does have these moments like. The you know give me the uh, give me the rye old bag and 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 even the hen rooster thing always makes it into the best of Frank you know uh, even though it has these iconic moments I didn't know it, it, it snuck up on me kind of like the pool guy did where I was like I don't remember last episode that much but now I do and maybe that that kind of can contribute to whether or not I like an episode if it if it surprises me you know because mm-hmm. I like them all yeah but when when one I don't remember sneaks up on me like this that's that's what I like so. Yeah, that that contributed to my perhaps overrating of it. <laughs> uh, so is that it? 
I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.